Due to the ignorance of our host, parental discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the other side of the Beehive episode 135. It's a five, not a six. It's a 135, as far as I know, right? Oh, fucking don't know. Ah, it is 135. I got this. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) He's a Brian, so push your buttons. (laughs) We have a guest with us today, Mr. Rob Eastman. Yep. Yep. Pull that. Thank pull that fucker. Thank you guys you for having me on. I appreciate hey, we've been, it. We've been uh, hearing your name everywhere. Yeah. Hopefully good things. <laughs> <laughs> well, we heard from Fonzie. Then you did, oh, you did the uh, 27th hour too? Yeah. Yep. With Junior. Yep. And then also uh, Amanda. Amanda. Yeah, Weaver. Amanda. Yeah. She yeah, came Amanda. on mine and I had Dre had on mine as well. Yeah. Who? Dre Rocca. Drew, I would no idea. It sounds like she's cute. Inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, man. I uh, I listened to your episode with uh, with uh, the lay talk, and I I hate to ask you the same questions, but you have such a great story that obviously our listeners need to know. Yeah. So, first of all, you were born here, right? Yeah, born and raised in Davis County. So give us, like a little, out. Give, <laughs> give us like a little fast speed story. So, of- born and raised in Bountiful. Uh, I've got a younger brother, three older sisters. My dad was an only child. Mother only had one sister. So we were a really small family. And uh, grew up being a redhead. I'm pretty confident now that it's a redhead thing. Like ADHD is just <laughs> built in. Yeah. And uh, struggled through elementary school. And I think uh, struggled really hard with the local belief system, mm-hmm. just in the fact that, you know, I was being bullied at school and I was being told that life was going to change if I was baptized and I didn't understand what that meant. So I thought I was going to be good at math. I thought I was going to be popular. And when that didn't happen, I kind of waged a war with God. And it, at eight years old, that's a tough thing to have happen. Yeah. And shortly after that, I started thinking about suicide. It was suicidal from there to late into my 30s or, or into my early 30s. But when is the first time you thought about suicidal? It was sitting. I was I think I was in third grade at the time. And my teacher, I, I must have been being rowdy, but she said, Robbie, get up, get up here. Why can't you sit still like everybody else? Yeah. Take your pill and sit down. And everybody laughed. Yeah. And at that point, I was like. I'm never taking a pill again. Yeah. And all, when you're a little kid, all you want to do is fit in. Yeah. Right? And at that point, I, I felt so isolated that, uh, you know, back in the 80s, we, didn't, we had like three channels on TV, and they mm-hmm. sure as hell weren't talking about mental health. No. So I didn't know that you could actually kill yourself. I just knew I didn't want to be here anymore. 
and uh, got into a lot of fights. Um, kind of because I was bullied so much, I protected anybody and everybody that was being bullied. Mm -hmm. And uh, that turned into me becoming the bully in junior high, and then I found drugs. And uh, I remember the first time I smoked weed. All my fucks given, if you will, went away. Yeah. And uh, these people loved me and, and all of that. And what they don't tell you when you're doing drugs and alcohol is that you'll get to a point where no matter how much you drink or how much you smoke, the pain will still be there. Yeah. And uh, what what at one point maybe saved my life, 10 years, 20 years down the road almost took it. So I don't. I'm not from here, per se. Like, I wasn't born here, and I don't have any kids. How, how old are you in third grade? Uh, nine. So your first suicidal thought was nine years old. Mm -hmm. You already don't fit in. You just, you just want to Yeah, I had the red hair, like bright red hair. My ears stuck out, so I just physically bullied almost every single day. Verbally, teachers, like it was, I got it from everywhere. One, one thing that <clears throat> you don't ever hear a lot about, Growing up here in Utah, because I'm on the same track, my family didn't go to church. I lived next door to the bishop. You were an outsider here growing up, especially in Davis County, you know, this little area where if you're not a Mormon, you don't fit in, yeah. right? And that's what I was going to ask. Do you LDS, I'm, I'm guessing? Yeah, born okay. and raised. Yep. Um, and so obviously I, I wanted somebody to blame. You know, I blame them. I blame anybody mm -hmm. and just lived in that hatred. And I was a pretty angry person. And, you know, I was known for my athletics and being a fighter. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can be good and bad. <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, I got in a lot of trouble. And my dad, <clears throat> he was an amazing man and coming from nothing. And we have a long history of mental health in our family. And as we these, uh, what do they call them? the family tree, yeah. the DNA stuff. Like we've been acquainted with family members that we didn't even know from my dad's side. He was adopted by an Eastman. Mm -hmm. That's where we got our last name. But his, his, his mother had told him that his dad was crazy and all these things. And back then they didn't know. It was like, you're right. in an insane asylum, getting shocked and cold therapies and all this stuff. And he had schizophrenia. Okay. So, he was sick, really, in, in the head. It's not that he right. didn't want to be his father. So all these things. And then my grandmother, um, she ended up committing suicide. So here's my dad, bunch of kids, no family, no parents. And his oldest son's just acting a fool. And he was the school board president. And he was the majority whip in the state senate. Car dealer. Like, he came from nothing and made so much of himself. And I think he understood pain so well that he didn't want me to feel pain. So he gave me opportunity mm -hmm. rather than you going taught me yeah. to learn what that was worth. Right. So I just turned into an entitled asshole <laughs> and, you know, rode my dad's coattails, you know, and whenever I'd screw up, they would save me from that. And, uh, untreated mental health. If you, we all have that family member or somebody that's dealing with high anxiety, mm -hmm. bipolar, and then you add drugs in there, you add withdrawals in there, and you love them, yeah. and you want them to change, and you put all this effort into helping them, but it just fails and fails and fails, and we say we're going to do better, and we don't, and all that shame just builds up. And uh, I got to the point where I was done and, and uh, tried to commit suicide multiple times. And I kept waking up. 
And uh, that's when I was feeling like maybe I already died and this is hell. Mm. You have to keep reliving the earthly hell of, it's like anybody who's an alcoholic or a drug addict or a porn addict or whatever it is, it's like you wake up and you survive the day by chasing that dragon. Right. So I wasn't getting anything done. I was waking up. I was going to the dope dealers. I was robbing the dope dealer. I was doing whatever I could to just feel not sick. Mm-hmm. And in return, committing, breaking multiple laws a day, hurting my family, hurting my mother. And then uh, I ended up getting sober. Um, <clears throat> I had a couple of buddies overdose within a couple of weeks of each other. Wow. And that was a big eye opener for me. So I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to change my life and, Nowadays, it's a little more, but back in the 90s, nobody was talking about rehab either. Right. You know, I heard it from one person in 20-something years, and on my way home from my last buddy's funeral, I was calling rehabs saying, you know, I don't, I need to get in, and uh, they could get me in on like a Wednesday, and this is like Monday night, and by this time, I'm, I own a home, big home down in North Salt Lake in Foxborough. I don't know if you guys are familiar yep. with that. Yep. I own a concrete company. I'm making like 35 grand a month. My dope habits like six, seven, eight grand a month. So if I stop doing drugs on Monday, I'm going to be so sick on Tuesday that I'm not going to make it to rehab on <laughs> <Right>. Wednesday. <clears throat> Absolutely. So down in my shop was down in North Salt Lake. And uh, I went down there and got rid of all my paraphernalia. By this time, my daily habit is alcohol, weed, Xanax, meth, coke, heroin injecting most of it um and that still isn't killing the pain but i went in the bathroom and shot up one more time and uh that's all i remember and this kid came the kid that was with me said that i came out of the bathroom and i was just sweating like crazy and i had a convulsion and i threw myself back and my head hit the concrete and he came to check if i was alive and i had blood coming out of both nostrils out of both ears and out of my mouth not breathing and heart had stopped and uh when you live in that world, you think you have friends, but they're more of acquaintances. Mm-hmm. So rather than calling 911, he bailed because he didn't want to get in trouble. Oh, wow. Damn. Um, luckily, a few minutes later, he said he felt guilty, called 911 anonymously. They came down, ended up working on my body for 25 minutes, got my heart going, rushed me to the hospital, found I had a brain hemorrhage, and uh, ended up flatlining three more times and... Woke up out of a 10-day coma at the U, and and uh, that kind of started my recovery. So at this point, when you when you wake up after that that uh, event, are you happy you woke up? Or are you like, fuck, I woke up? Or like, they brought me back. I was, I was, I was gone pretty, already. I didn't mean to overdose, so I didn't even know that it had happened. So when I woke up, I had a breathing tube, and at this point, I was weighing like 128 pounds. I was Jesus. sick super sick like eat once a week and it was a bowl of cheerios and then liquor and and drugs were my calories so i woke up and i didn't know where i was i lost my my taste because it sheared off the nerve endings in the front of my brain um the fluid coming out of my ear blew my eardrums and the bones off so i had they had this huge plug in my ear to keep the brain fluid from coming out christ so I pulled the breathing tube out and I pulled my catheter out. I didn't know where I was and uh, found out what had happened. And the worst part was while I was in there, the doctors would come and check on me, see how I was doing. And the, all I could think about was using. They were pumping me full of drugs, but it wasn't 
Coke. It wasn't right. heroin. It wasn't. So I'm still withdrawing, laying there super uncomfortable. So they're like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm great. I need to go right now. I got yeah, things to get do. Out. And uh, I left from, I had somebody pick me up when they let me out and thought I was healthy enough. And my first stop was back at my drug dealer's house. And uh, a few a few weeks after that, my parents put a kibosh on that and got me into rehab, mm-hmm. and uh, did really well. And and uh, met a, I got working out again and playing soccer, and business was booming. And met a beautiful girl at Vasa, and she was LDS, and life was good. And and it came time to talk about marriage, and and uh, she wanted to get married in the temple, and. Uh, I loved her, but I hadn't really been even brought the religion back into yeah. my life. And so that really touched a nerve. And uh, I felt like everybody abandoned me. Felt like they turned their back on me. So that was a tough decision, but it was like between that or losing my girl. And and uh, so I ended up getting married in the temple. And uh, everything was good. <clears throat> And when you're dealing with mental health, like in rehabs and things like that, they always tell you, make amends, go and apologize, make new relationships, all those things. And I had, and the one relationship I didn't fix was my relationship with pain. Mm. Everything was good. It's like, you'll talk to a lot of sober people and then one thing will happen and they fall off after five years because they hadn't been tested yet. Right. So as I'm going through this, for when you associate emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, and you associate that with a pharmaceutical or getting fucked up to numb that pain, that's a that's a habit, man. That is something that doesn't go away. And I was uh, about 18 months sober, playing soccer, just built a big home, just got married in the temple, blew my ACL, and I'm sitting in the sitting in the hospital, literally putting a tongue suppressant in my teeth and I'm biting down. I'm like, I'm a, I'm sober. I ain't using drugs ever again. They're like, you blew your ACL. You need surgery. Went to surgery, got out. Things are great. Whatever. My wife goes back to work a couple days later and, uh, the nerve block wears off. <sighs> and within an hour, I called my drug dealer and I had a needle back in my arm. So now you compound all that shame. Everybody thinks you're doing great. Now you're not doing great. You just got married in the temple. You just got married to a beautiful woman that has nothing. And now it just is like instantly back to that lying guy. I didn't because I lied because I didn't want to hurt anybody. Right. And uh, that lasted a little bit and uh, ended up getting my wife pregnant and lying to her about the drugs. And we went to get a, 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 a pregnancy test. And I'd gotten pretty good at, like, backing off of the drugs a little bit, but I was still using oxys and stuff like that, mm-hmm. super high withdrawal reaction to that, and I hadn't got any that day, and I was starting to get sick, and I knew this conversation about being a father and, and taking care of and this whole new life we're going to have. And, it's your uh, first kid. Right? Yeah, and uh, that I might need to get high for that. Oh. And uh, so when I got home, I said, I'll be right back, and, and she knew what I was doing. She said, if you leave, don't ever come back. And I ended up leaving. And a few minutes later, I got a phone call, went home, and she was sitting at the top of the stairs and bawling her eyes out, and that's how I found out I was going to be a father. Oh, wow. And it's like I couldn't make things any worse all the time. 
Didn't matter what I did, my thinking. You guys ever watch Seinfeld? Yeah. You know the Costanza rule? No, yeah. Yep. Do the opposite of what <laughs> yep, you think you should absolutely. do. Like, <laughs> I should have been told that. Yeah. Do the know, opposite, I, Jerry. <laughs> I, I just couldn't do it. And so, you know, everybody's opinion is, you're going to be a father. You need to shape up. And in my head, it was like, I can't even take care of myself. How right. am I going to take care yeah. of this little baby? So I didn't get better. I got worse and uh, made it through the nine months and had my daughter and there's complications in the in the uh, delivery room and they have to end up assisting the pregnancy and pulling around she's not breathing and my wife's wanting pictures and the baby's not breathing and everybody's screaming and I'm freaking out and they get her going and I held her long enough to take her out and introduce her to my family and give her to her mom and needed to go home and take a shower and went right back to my drug dealer's house and it just got to the point where I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't keep a job. So my job was to stay home with my daughter, and uh, I couldn't even do that. I'd take the diaper money, go buy dope. Wife would get home, no diapers, no food, baby crying in the crib dirty, and uh, I'd become a harm to myself and everybody around me, and and she left. And uh, found myself at 31 years old after being the guy you know, cool cars, big house, successful business guy, uh, back on my parents' couch. And uh, it had come time that I was ready to to make that big switch, and that was uh, everybody would be better off without me here. Was there any communication with your dad when you were going through this? Because it seemed like you had a good relationship with your dad, yeah. or, unless I'm yeah, mistaken. Yeah, no, he's, he was that guy that he was amazing support, but he didn't know how to help me. Like, yeah, we definitely talked, but we argued a lot because right. we were very similar. So he never, and my mom, uh, he always gets the credit, but my mom, you know, she I put her through some stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been around anybody with psychosis. Uh -uh. When you've been up for so many days or you're so right. high that you're seeing anything yep. you imagine. Like, my mom is in my bedroom with me babysitting me while I'm going through this stuff. Like, I can't even imagine. <sighs> took some years off of her life. But it got to the point where... I knew I was just ready to end my life. No more no more overdosing, no more nothing. And the only way I could see my daughter was if my parents were there to watch because they were worried about me. And at this point, a few about a couple maybe 10 days before this happened, my dad came down in the morning and was crying and I'm laying on the couch, needles and stuff and he pushes me a piece of paper and he said, "Read this." And I started reading it and he had written my obituary. He said, I know you're going to die, but you can't do it in my basement. Get out. And, oh, wow. uh, you know, you're talking, this started at 16, and I'm now 31. Just blew everything up in my life and uh, on his couch, and, and he just couldn't go through, watch me die in his in his basement. And uh, so I was homeless for, I don't know, seven, eight days, sitting in my car down. So I haven't been right here for a minute, man. I used oh. to get a lot of dope <laughs> right there at the, at the gay bar, huh? And uh, <laughs> we should take it for a tour. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so I set it up to where I could get back into my parents' house, and I wanted to give my mom a hug. I wanted to give my daughter a hug. She was seven months at the at this time, and and tell my dad I loved him. <clears throat> and on my way out, I went and stole a handgun, and uh, found myself up. Anybody from Bountiful knows that's uh, this little beach. hike up above the, the temple yep. where you can sit and there's these benches that up look North face Canyon. to face just up uh man what's it called up right across from the temple 
sitting up there and uh i'm having this interaction with myself like really talking myself into pulling the trigger <clears throat> and as i'm going to put it in my mouth these visions of my mom and my daughter pop into my head and my daughter you know, like I said, she's seven months old, and I'm thinking, you know what? Any man could come into her life and do a better job than me. I will never embarrass her. She doesn't have to see the shame that I've brought on my family's name. She'll be fine. And then my mom's was, you know, by this time I'm really upset with God if there is a God. And she was a God-loving woman. And uh said, you know what? I'm going to say a prayer to her God so that when he doesn't answer my prayer, when she dies, she can go look him in the face and say, you failed me. This is your mom? Yeah. Okay. So I'm up there crying and... and uh Put the gun in my mouth to close my eyes, and uh, I said a prayer, and it was a little like, I don't know anything about a still, small voice. I'm going to need something a little bit louder than that, and if I don't get it by the time I open my eyes, I'm pulling the trigger. And this is August 31st, 2009, and right as I started opening my eyes and pulling that trigger, a firework display went off. And shortly after that, I heard a voice, and it said, is that loud enough? Wow. And uh, I didn't know what I just heard. I was felt paralyzed. And I was just bawling. And uh took me about 20 minutes before I could even get off the ground. Got up, went down, gave my dad his gun back, and drove myself straight to the hospital. And uh, September 1st, 2009 is my sobriety date. I'll pick up 12 years next Wednesday. Did wow, you understand man. what was just about to happen when you gave him the gun? I think so. Okay. I think they knew. Like, I'd never been that low. Like, I'm, a one, I'm 195 pounds. Imagine me at 128. Well, yeah. you look like me. Like ribs, like I look, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. I have my own issues, just so we're, just so we're clear. <laughs> so that that was the, you know, I didn't love myself enough to give me one more chance, but I loved everybody else enough. Now, what what's what's your, uh, so when this happened and you hear this voice, what's your take on religion from that, from that point on? You know, for me, as I've gone through this deal, I've done a lot of traveling and, uh, for me, my belief system has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with my experience. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I imagined that. I don't know if, if that was the universe being like, nope, we need you. Yeah. Right. I don't care what it is. At this point, I love the Mormons. I love the Catholics. I love, I don't care who it is. If you're trying to be better and you're doing good, keep doing right. that. Right. I don't fit into a box I never have. I went to Israel with BYU to school, so I saw what religion does to those cultures in the Middle East. Spent some time in Nepal with the Buddhist people. Like, there's so much good in religions, and there's so much nonsense in my eyes in religions. And people get so boxed in that they're either all in or they're completely out, and they waste more time being mad at the religion rather than getting better at being themselves. Because mm -hmm. the basic concept of a religion, all religion, is just... Be a better person. Yeah. Be Guidance. a better person. And exactly. You know, and they get so caught up in the like right. letter of the law rather than spirit of the law. Right. So at the time, I was pretty scared. You know, I was like, I didn't dare tell anybody. I didn't want to be made to feel weird. I don't really share this part of it very much, but I'm getting with you guys. So while when I had that, uh, when I was in my coma, I had this dream, and my best friend, he's tattooed on my forearm. He committed suicide when we were 21, and now I'm 31, so it had been 10 years. And then these two other people, they were in this dream. And Danny was coming over me, and I'm laying down, and 
and he's saying something, and I can't hear him. I'm leaning over, and right when I get close enough to where I could hear him, he turned and looked, and I looked, and my feet hit a door, and that's when I woke up in ICU, okay? That could just be the brain functioning, whatever, but there was these other two people that I didn't know. So as I'm getting out of rehab, and this is even before my final rehab, I went to rehab like a couple times, (laughs) but it was like playing so vividly like we're sitting here now, and I asked my dad, I told him about it, and he kind of got this weird look on his face, and he's like, hold on, and he comes back with a picture, and he said, was it them? And it was my grandpa that I never met. Oh, Jesus. And my grandma that died when I was three. Had you ever seen that picture before? Uh, I think I probably had. But I didn't know who the people were. Right. So three people. So my dad, my my grandpa drove his truck off of a bridge. Supposedly, the story is, and the family said that he, if if he hadn't have pulled off the road, because they kept sliding in, he was in a big truck and a like a tanker, mm-hmm. that they would have died, and he chose to drive off to save them. Jesus. And a year later, my grandma, the wife of this mm-hmm. man committed suicide and my friend committed suicide so all three people who had taken their own lives whether it be to save somebody or to get out of pain were in this dream holy shit there's some things that have happened in my life that i cannot deny i'm not going to sit and argue religion or Mm. belief systems because my belief system is mine and i'm not going to push it on you because it works for me, and I pray to my dad, I pray to God, I pray to Buddha, I pray to my friends that have fallen that I want to talk to and see how they're doing. I'll pray to the grass if I need to. I don't care what it is. I'll talk to whoever I need to in the moment, and that's what works for me. And it took me a long time to get used to that in Utah, to be okay and confident enough to do me here, and then obviously tattoos, dreadlocks, we get an extra special. My girlfriend's got them. It's, it makes it a little extra. <laughs> so ultimately, I just went on a on a self-help journey, really. And that's where I got into my gym. The only thing I was ever good at was fitness. And then I started training people, and I found very quickly that they're not there for fitness. They're there for mental health. Yeah. So I stopped studying fitness technique, how to squat properly, and I started studying psychology and uh, putting the two together and teaching people how to do hard things in a safe environment was a no-brainer. And that ultimately is what Eastman Fitness is about. Um, We're a lifestyles gym. And uh, then I fell in love with psychology and have just studied for the last 10 years probably have equal to a master's level of self-study in psychology and uh started cage fighting started running ultra marathons all of these things because i wanted to face my fears because i was bullied and i acted out of fear like if you act tough enough somebody's not going to want to fight you but what if they did mm-hmm. yep yeah, You know, somebody's barking at you, or you're in a conflict, and you're acting out and saying things you don't even mean, you don't even know you're saying, but out of fear. Yep. And I didn't want to feel that way anymore. 
So I thought it would be a good idea to take a cage fight off of Facebook at 35 years old. It was not. <laughs> Paul Sanders, if you're out there, he kicked my ass. <laughs> the the promoters tell me, did you wrestle? I was like, yeah, I wrestled like seventh grade at Mill Creek Junior High. He was a D1 wrestler from Nebraska. Oh, well, yeah, so, there you go. <laughs> so what I thought I was going to go in and, and get a fight somebody and not get in trouble for, I learned... Uh, Honor was this local, a local fight? Yeah, still ultimate combat. Oh, it was a still fist yeah, fight. I fought for still fist for four years, and but all these adventures, I, I don't learn by sitting in church. I never did. I learned by running twenty miles in the mountains with nobody to save me, and still having twenty five to get out. Right. You know, you learn a little bit about yourself. So, for me, it's always not not seeking the pain on purpose, but through struggle, I find peace, and uh, I've always had that warrior mentality and that may have took up more time than you wanted no 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 you know that's that's kind of the the quick version um of who and what i am and now i work in the davis school district like never in a million years but when people hear they're like rob eastman does what like they let him in the schools (laughs) i didn't even go (laughs) to school have you you ever thought about doing a a book Uh, i'm actually on the 16th of this month Going out and going on a book retreat and then finishing it up with a publisher. Oh, cool. Nice. So Very I've nice. been thinking about it for eight years, but it's like that. I was never good in school. I don't write. I can talk pretty good. And now right. they have apps that'll <laughs> write it down for right. you. But right. it's, how do you spell that? Like, yeah. I just never was insecure about that. Same as starting a podcast. Technically, I'm an idiot. I can barely <laughs> work my smartphone, you know? So my podcast stuff sat behind my couch for a year. And so all these little things that it's crazy. We feel like all the things we don't want people to know about us that we keep locked up. Once I let those out, people wanted to be around me. Right. It allowed them to be vulnerable. And uh, so I make a hundred percent of my living off of telling people how I screwed up and how I got out of it. So So, some of the most ridiculous things that we've said on this podcast and, you know, some things that you would have never shared with. I mean, there was, there was a point in an episode, we talk about this all the time where, um, we sat down to do an episode, never talked about it. And it all came out. We were both molested. And the fact that we let it go out on a podcast was not only that release, but the fact that people wanted to hear it and people became followers and closer to the podcast itself because we let it out and stuff like that. I think that's one. I commend you both for doing that because for a man, that's hard to talk about. And two, it happens way more than you think. Mm -hmm. And if you don't share who the hell's getting it. Right. And I don't think that's another thing that we talk about after that. It was like, I don't like, I haven't even told my family. Now I have the advantage that my family is in another country. They speak another language, but like my mom, I don't, I think she knows a little bit about it, but not like actual details, you know, and we didn't go as graphic as, you know, as, as, as we went, you know, once we turned everything over, we, we, we made sure everything was off, but it, it didn't play. I mean, it, I feel like we don't, we kind of talk about it in a funny way because we didn't know until we stopped and we were talked like, about it. Yeah, because we were just talking about it. We that was like our first serious episode too. Right. And then all of a sudden we're like, "Yo, did we get we get molested?" Like we like we were like, because nowadays it's such a and I hate to say this, but it's such a common thing. Right. Then now you go like, 
you know, somebody's just like somebody has a picture. And it's like they already got, they already know. Oh, but for what happened to me, it was it was more of a in a couple of like a couple of hours that, that this guy wanted to get his way with me, and I was just like uh, 15, 16 years old. Like I have no idea what's going on, but. There was a, a friend of a wife of one of my friends uh, say, "Oh, I heard your episode of the last episode." I was like, "Oh," and I said, "Well, let me ask you something. Did we get molested?" He goes, "Oh yeah." They both got molested, and he, and and she told me, "And you almost got kidnapped." And I was like, "Oh," and it didn't pan out until we until we talked about it. We we're like, "Yo, what the fuck?" But to be vulnerable, yeah, yeah, and let it out. Now it's oh yeah. Haha, you know, it's a joking matter. It's not a not a pressing thing on you, mm-hmm. you know, and uh I don't think, you know, we obviously we don't have a, an an incredible story like you do, but um I think just you spitting the cliff notes, um you would do everybody a disservice if you didn't yeah. put a book out like that and help one, two people yeah. that felt that way. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's sad. I'm I'm glad that I can like be available to people but it's sad when i go and speak to complete strangers and they come up and tell me something they've never told anybody yeah that they don't have they don't feel safe enough or they don't want to be judged by their own family or their friends like what kind of society are we living in where we just fake smile moving around going to jobs we hate like and then you come home and blast your family or you know right. or drink it away or whatever and then you put that smile on again and it's just it's sad and it's exhausting and i for one like i'm a street soldier i want to i want to change the game you know i'd rather be homeless and happy than than faking it like i did i i wore a mask for so many years and uh i don't want our younger kids do you guys have kids yeah i do I do not want our kids to feel less than or let a man or a woman tell you your worth or any of that shit. And I'm just not, yeah, I'm pretty passionate you're, about that. You're also a life coach. Yeah. Do, do you know, and I, I, don't, I want to ask you this question, but I don't want it to seem so obvious, but do you think that you have some sort of an advantage because of the struggles that you went through? When you talk to people, maybe like you, maybe you have like a little advantage over something somebody else that just, maybe just went to school or maybe just. Yeah, I think that I I hate the the word life coach because you get all these eighteen, nineteen, yeah. twenty year olds out there just to concert yeah, yeah, yeah. over the weekend, mm-hmm. and now they're financial wizards or yeah, yeah, yeah. mental health experts. <laughs> oh, yeah, Printed exactly, off my own certificate. So yeah, absolutely. Whether I have the title or not, I can sit in a room with therapists, and they always ask me, "Where did you get your degree?" Okay. On the streets. Right. You read about me. Right. They studied us. So right. for anybody listening that's struggling, if you can just find it to the other side of that, you will have a gift, something that's marketable, a talent to change people's lives that will fill your soul more than anything else. Whatever you're feeling ashamed about or worried about people finding out, I challenge you to reach out and express it and i promise you'll feel a million times better but to answer your question absolutely because one thing i get and i'm sure a lot of therapists or whatever you'll get is well you don't get it you weren't you didn't experience what i experienced a lot of the like military the ptsd stuff they have a really hard time talking to people who aren't in the service because 
Unless you've been in a war zone, right? There's no you way you don't get relate. it. You right. can talk until you're blue in the face. You can be like, okay, well, yeah, it says here in the psychology book that that's a. I don't want to yeah. be told what to do. I want to be able to vent and know somebody understands what I'm going through, and then put my best foot forward. Right. And I and through my struggles, I have quite a few. And like I said, my dad was in the in the Senate, so the highest level of politics. One of my uncles is in the highest realm of the Mormon church. And so I understand the pressures of all of that. My dad was a successful businessman. My family did great and I didn't being bullied, being suicidal, being a drug addict, dealing with mental health. Like there's not much that somebody can come and sit in front of me and be like, and tell me that I haven't experienced or worked with somebody a hundred times. Right. So, do you get looked down as, like, from that part of your family because of? Nah, my family loves me. Yeah, they know That's I'm good. doing good. Awesome. It took a while because, as an addict, you promise a lot and never deliver. Mm-hmm. So it took them about you seven burn. years of me doing what I said. <laughs> you burn a few bridges but along yeah, the way, you know, right? They and and then, you know, obviously getting the tattoos from head to toe oh, you have and. Tattoos? And stuff like that, right? Oh, no shit. And uh, that was kind of my dad said, you know, dress for the job you want. And he, he before he, my dad passed away shortly into my recovery. Sorry to hear. So my first seven months of recovery was wife left, bank took everything, dad died, and so I had a big decision to make. But he told me you better find a way to make money because you're a terrible employee. I was smarter than every boss I ever had. Right? Yeah. I knew everything, and until I got out of the way. That was going to be a problem. So I had to detach from family for a while because even though they love you, you've been in this because I was sick. I made them sick and it was conditioned over time. So nobody knew just how sick everybody was. So we all had to kind of give a little bit of space so that we could regather who we were as a person, you know, stoke my own fire, if you will, and then reunite and, to where they knew and then when my actions matched my words then things really changed and for a while i just stopped talking and and just acted and i followed my heart and i hated service and then i did more service than i've ever done in my life in the first few years of my recovery and found that i felt way better in the depths of hell with people trying to get out because i knew a way out do you feel like um separating yourself from them pulled that that crutch away quite a bit yeah, you know me and my brother have talked about this and my dad was such a such an amazing person and and helped so much that i almost feel like he had to go in order for me to grow mm. so absolutely and when when you you don't want your kid to suffer you don't want your kid to be homeless you don't want him to do all these things but that's where we overprotect and underprepare in this society. Right. So I challenge any parents listening from the age that they can build their own sandwich, let them teach them how to do their own laundry, give them a chore list so they can feel accomplished doing something. If they want Jordans, make them earn it yep. because then they understand a sense of self. I was given, 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 given. And then when it was taken away, I was like, like a mm-hmm. thir- I was learning stuff at 31 that I should have learned at 13. One thing uh, when I was growing up is I had great, great parents. Um, my dad 
worked every day. You know, I didn't see my dad a lot. My mom worked as well. But they taught me, you're 14 now. The farm down the road is hiring. You want that dirt bike? You go get it. I didn't, nothing was given to us. And I learned that piece of no matter what I have now or where I'm working, nothing was harder than at 14 years old, raking weeds in the middle of a field at a hundred degrees. Nothing's worse than that for $4 and 25 cents an hour. And I thought I was bawling at the time and I thought I was the man. And I always look back at what I have now. You know, if you don't, like you said, if you don't let them build and work for something, they have no value. And, And I do it with my kids. Yeah, it's a it's a credit card culture. Yep, and uh, that's really sad. And, and and everything starts inside of your own home, and then goes out from there. And uh, we have a lot of uh, chiefs in my family, which is amazing. Once we understand each other, mm-hmm. and we're not trying to uh, argue right or wrong, but to argue to understand was a big change. And now we have a, a great relationship, and and uh, it's cool to watch. But then, you know, I've got nieces and nephews that struggle with addiction, and and watching that, and knowing I, that I really can't do anything but lead by example. And their time, it's their journey. Um, that's tough. So, business owner, mm-hmm. like a, a true entrepreneur. Let's be real, right? You call yourself that, right? Yep. <laughs> you should get that tattooed <laughs> if you don't have it already. <laughs> um, you know, a uh, coach. Um, talk to me about your nonprofit. So this, 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 I think this is absolutely amazing. Yeah, so I felt like I could do more if, and I, I didn't understand what a nonprofit was. I just thought it was like some magical thing. But ultimately, it just is an opportunity. I felt like if we created some programs inside of our communities that had some real talk that worked with the entire family, because I spent a lot of time fixing adult uh, mental health, addiction, stuff like that, working with them. And then I was introduced. My fights were aired on TV, and I got introduced to prisoners. Mm -hmm. So I was like their first contact out and coached them, and that was a little wild. And then... I got married and and I was in the schools as an assistant coach and I'm like, man, I need to work with the youth because if we can do prevention, then that's way better. So I put my heart and soul into that and that's what the foundation is working with youth and youth programs. But then I found out those youth have to go home to the broken family, which is Mm -hmm. the parents. I was like, okay, now we got to do everything. Right. So being a voice in the community and, uh, you know, I'm speaking at suicide funerals and I'm working with the police departments and I'm working with the mayors to change the way we interact because if somebody's out doing acting a fool or whatever they're clearly not happy they're not in a place where they need they need help they don't need jail we need to come in with love and compassion not a gun it's like and as people get more educated because mental health is a taboo conversation. People do not like talking about it. It's better because, now than it ever has been, yeah, right? Yeah. But when you're like, hey, I'm doing a mental health uh, speech at Bountiful High, you should come. They instantly think I'm accusing them of having mental health. Oh, like, good point. You good know? point. Yep. It's like, well, no, we're fine. We're fine over right. here. I'm, then great. Why don't you come teach us how you guys do so well? Mm. Right? 
It's, we got to get back to that village raising the kid, and that kid may be us at forty. Right. The grandpa that's been that survived eighty years. I want to hear how he did that. Right. How he stayed married for sixty years. Because I can't stay married for two. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah. So how does he do that? Right. You know, there's so many people with so much information, but we're just we're so shut down now. We don't know our neighbors three houses down. Right. So the community. We have to have connection. So that nonprofit is about connection, about being able to go somewhere where you can talk about things, real things that are going on, and not feel like a bum because of it. So putting my time and effort into that was a it's pretty cool. I, I own a farm and we have horses and goats and chickens and cats. We have family farm experience where you don't have to own the animals to see what it's like and come right. over and have a cool experience. Um, we utilize the gym as well. Yeah, small pigs. I did. Oh, I got a podcaster who wants to buy small pigs. <laughs> <laughs> I got a breeder. <laughs> I know a dude that breeds them and set him up. Yeah, we had one, and it was two uh, birds and the bees for a family farm, man. They didn't care if it was a goat, chicken. It was, boy, it was some testosterone popping. Talk to us about your uh, your podcast. What, what what would you say it's about? So that, instead of writing my book, I figured, you know what? My daughter should know who I am. And it's really started out as a journal. Yeah. You know, bringing, having conversations. And, and uh, I've just had the warrior mentality from day one. That's all I ever knew was doing hard things. And uh, so it's called Stand and Fight. Named after my tattoo, so it's better to stand and fight. If you, you run, a, you will only die a, tired. Uh, Instagram? Uh, no, no. Okay, no. Nope. I got okay. too many socials. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to run it, it will. <laughs> <laughs> that's it right there. You know, and so it's just been a really cool opportunity to talk to a bunch of different walks of life, and. It does not matter. Everybody struggles, man. Yeah. And it's so good to connect on that level where I don't know why we can't just have that be a normal conversation to where people can open up anywhere. Right. You know? It's the beauty part about being uh, podcasting, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've met some some cool people in this industry that have supported me or, or you know, pushed me along and, and allowed you know, making vulnerable the manly thing to do. Right. You know? So. It's been, Is it once a week kind of thing or? Nah. No? I'm, <laughs> people, I, I'm bad. It's more of a, just a passion deal. Okay. You know, I hit it. I went hard for a while. And um, just as I come across people that, that I feel I want to talk to, Impact, I'll yeah. bring them on, yeah. you know, but I've got. So I'm the head coach at Bountiful High for wrestling. I'm the head coach at Mill Creek Junior High for wrestling. I've got my youth classes. I've got my adult stuff at the gym. I've got my nonprofit. I've got life coaching in the middle, speaking engagements. So I just fit in when I you ain't got time for all, all that <laughs> podcast and stuff. You know, but it's all it's all tied in to the same and and uh, you know I hope my podcast helps yeah. some people. It was. Um, we got put in Entrepreneur Magazine in, in 2020 for Top 20 with some big-name people. I, I linked up uh, with a dude that's Top 100 out of Australia and Canada, and, and that catapulted me wow. into some big stuff. So we're in a few few rooms and cities, and so 
That's cool. Awesome. But I think that, you know, this ultimately reaches more people. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're, I want my message to be hope and not giving up. And no matter how dark it gets, there's, there's going to be something that can pull how you long, up. How long have you been doing it? I don't know. Two years. Last game. <laughs> <laughs> What's my first? Episode? He's yeah, I think like two I years. Two thousand nineteen, right? Yeah, two thousand. You know, I had like Court McGee. Do you guys know Court? Yeah, yeah, Court. I've been messaging Alema him for Harrington. a while. Lemma <laughs> Harrington, he was a powerful dude. You know, I uh, I first was turned on to you from Junior Junior Hammond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we went to school together. Oh, uh, he's, cool. That's my tattoo, dude. Awesome. Um, and uh, he says, "Yo, you got to try and get this guy on." And so it was. When I recorded the last episode with him for his one year anniversary, we talked about you, and then just out of spark, you sh- you sent us a message, and I said, yeah. "Lo and behold, look at that!" How did you hear that. from us? I think from Hammond and and Dre and and uh, again we don't know Fonzie. Yeah, you know they've all, and I think Amanda, and I've seen a couple things, and I feel it's important. One, I wanted to, uh, to see what else is out there. It's it's important to know what's who and who's around what they're doing because it takes community. I can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself. But if, if we connect and we have a range and we're pulling multiple people and a good message is going out, I think that's what it's all about. That's been our, that's been our biggest deal here at the other side of the beehive. When we started to, interact and network with other podcasts you know we we've always said that let's build a community you know you come on ours we'll come on you you have something to say you know we can riff off of each other and your your listener might be interested in ours and ours so be it and you know there's the beauty part about podcasts is we don't have to compete you listen to podcasts when you want to listen to podcasts you turn it off you restart it Mm -hmm. um but everybody has a list of podcasts they want to listen to right that's yeah. I think that's even with business, man. Is yeah, same thing. Fitness, like gyms, are so clingy and and stuff like that. I'm like, look around. There's a million people that need your help. They're gonna, right. if they like you, they're gonna come to you. It's not a matter of eighty nine dollars to sixty nine dollars. It's how they feel when they walk through that door. Right. And uh, it sucks when they exclude other people when you know somebody's better than you for this person. Mm-hmm. So I'm all about sending people away. I do consult with every person I work with to find out one, if I even want to work with them. Right. And two, if it's, if it's not going to be a good fit, we're wasting time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, everybody's I, time, not yeah. just yours, but mine as well. Yeah. And I work in a realm of a lot of life and death situations. So I don't want to be, that's what these bands right here. They were solid black and I put some stuff in the middle, but the first time I lost a client to suicide that I was working with, man, I had to shut down for like eight months. Mm, wow. Like, what could I have done better? What What did I miss? What did I, da, 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 like, I should have seen that he needed a higher higher level of care. I should have put it in me like, I don't want to rack my brain like that ever again. So I'm more than happy to meet you where you're at and be honest and get you to who you need to be with. Right. So a lot of the intervention and, and consulting work. But, man, I love just meeting new people, and especially that it's right here in, in, in my hood and, and doing, taking the time to share their stories and, and spread some Can you words. share one of, your, one of the crazy stories with us? 
uh, which one would you yeah, like? I don't know. After <laughs> you. Crazy, like my drug stories? No, like or, with the, your clients. Oh, man. So there's, like, for me, I get a phone call at a, it was probably 9 o'clock at night, and this mother and father are panicking on the phone. They just found a suicide letter, and they're asking me, what should I do? And I'm like, did you call the police? No. So people, they're coming to me before they even call 911. So we end up spending the whole night searching all the jogging trails. You know, there's that Jordan River Trail, but it goes all the way clear into Arlington. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we're driving that in my truck. People, joggers are like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, have you seen a little boy? You know, spending hours and hours and hours possibly looking for a young 12-year-old boy that's committed suicide with the parents. It's like getting bullied in the schools. The bully system sucks. It's like we, we can do more as adults, but for the one that really changed that I was talking about, um, a guy got out of rehab. He promised his family that if he could get out early that he would come work with me because it's more of an intensive outpatient. You can have a job. You can do all that. We work out and we do life coaching stuff and setting goals and changing behaviors. And a couple weeks into that, and he was a really smart guy. So I deal with like some therapists, some doctors, some big business guys, stuff like that. But he convinces he's got a, a wife and some kids and his parents convinces them that it's a waste of time and that he's going to be better just on his own and all of these things. And part of the, part of the deal is I get a key to your car. I get a key to your house. So at any time I can pop in just to make sure that what you're saying is real. Right. I drug test people and all of that. And we hadn't talked for about a month and his dad called me and said, Hey, do you still have a key to his apartment? I was like, I think so. And his dad came to the house and grabbed a key and, they went back and I got a phone call from the cops and they're like, Hey, we need the key now. Like they thought I was giving them the wrong key on purpose mm -hmm. or whatever. And, and so I went and checked another place and the police came and got the key and they went to the dude's house and, uh, he had overdosed and, and having, you know, by the grace of God, I gave the wrong key the first time because it would have been the mom and dad finding him. Oh, sure. So the police were the first ones in on the second time. And, but just thinking about that, like, it's not a client. Like, in my world, it's not a client. Like, somebody just lost their son. Somebody just lost their dad, you know? And because of the manipulation, we get so good. We want we want to be friends with our kids or our friends. We don't dare call them out because we don't want to piss them off. It's like, right. I would much rather have my friend hate my, hate my guts and him be in a psych ward or, or in jail or something safe than me carrying his casket. Right. Never again. I'm more than happy to love you enough to do what I should do the first time. And those are the, th like, it's, uh, we just lost uh, one of my wrestlers, 16-year-old, awesome kid, and just had the perfect storm and ended up going to the bird refuge and laying over a 12-gauge. It's like at 16. These, this, this black and white thinking we have that all or none that my life's over, and in two days and the beer wearing off, you're going to be just fine. It's not that big of a deal. But we have instant gratification on our phones. We have, like, it's just, it's hard. And so just over COVID, I lost a 16-year-old, an 18-year-old, both wrestled for me, and then my best friend, um, 
dealing with schizophrenia and he's a native American. Mm-hmm. And so he had to be closer to his tribe to get the help he needed, right. which was Alaska and, uh, had an episode and went and tapped a knife on a Navy SEAL training center's window. And, uh, they ended up shooting him 10 times, <laughs> leaving his wife, five-year-old and a 10-year-old. So in these things, I've, that's just in like three months you know it was and so i'm conditioned a little bit to not i'm a little bit tough around the edges because i have to be but those things just light my fire to make damn sure that we stop a couple husbands wives kids from feeling like they're alone because they're not and if i have to come on every podcast or scream at the top of my lungs wherever that's what i'm gonna do because that's what, important to me. Because I know how that feels. What do you think is is the 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 point? What do you what do you think is the difference? Try to put words together. Is the difference in between someone that has gone through your struggle and can become who you've become, and someone that maybe like that person you say or person you were talking about gets out of jail and then oh I'm gonna start working. I want to start working for myself. But then turns for the worse. Like what's what's the different. Uh, focusing that that you have and that he has, or the different points of view, the way of thinking. What would you say that is? You have to change everything. Like if I'm an alcoholic and you guys are my friends and you drink, you got to love me enough to let me go. Mm-hmm. You got to right. know that I can't just have one. That I, if I'm around it, they have a saying: if you sit at the barbershop long enough, you're bound to get your hair cut. So if you guys are dragging me out to the bar and making sure I don't drink. I may be strong 99% of the time, but that perfect storm, my girlfriend dumps me, my ex-wife wants child support and I don't have it, and all that goes back, that's a bullet in my head. Right. That's a needle in my arm. That's so much shame that I can't handle it. So people identifying that you might be toxic to your buddies, that it might be better to push him out to somewhere else or allowing them to leave on their own and not taking it personal. So I was alone for a long time. A lot of guys get, or and women, get back into relationships because they don't love themselves enough and they need that attention. Right. So the biggest relapses are relationships, money, and death. And that happens a lot in life in general, but it's magnified when you're struggling. So going back to work too early, not having the life skills necessary. I gave up everything. I studied psychology. Uh, coaching strategies, worked on my body, and worked on my mind. That was it. I worked at my uh, my mentor told me, get a job, you can run on two cylinders. So I went and did marketing for Surf Pro. <laughs> like, drove around a green PT cruiser and had a teal <laughs> a little outfit on. But it, like, you gotta, you gotta go to the extreme. It's your life. It's not a charge you got. That's a red flag. You get a DUI, it's not because you got caught. That's that's God's grace saying, hey, take a peek in the mirror. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's because I drank tequila. <laughs> like, okay, call me when it's vodka. Mm-hmm. You know, it so doesn't it's- matter. It's mental health. You got to look deeper. And a lot of times they don't have the resources. All these things cost money. They don't know that there's free counseling at USARA. They don't know that there's groups and there's gyms and places that you can go and be around like-minded people. So, you I, know, without 
coming on here and sharing the resources most people will never know. I have uh, one of my best friends. In fact, he was a guest on our podcast, um, a true struggling alcoholic, you know, and he came on and told his story. And one of the most interesting things that he explained to me, he says, the people that want to fix themselves, it's amazing that the actual system here, if you just ride the system and you actually go out, they'll pay for your home. They'll pay for you to go back and forth. He's a barber. He's in a barber school right now. They're paying for it and he's killing it right now. Yeah. You know, done really well, not touching the booze, but he says there's such an amazing uh, facility here. A system here, if you just do it, you yeah. can't do just a little bit of it. You've got to ride the whole thing and you've got to be uh, disciplined. You've got to ride it to the fullest. But he says it's there. You've just got to do it. Yeah. I think people get feeling better and you're like, oh, I'm just not going to drink for a little bit. It was, it was never the liquor. And uh, there's a book, it's like in, in Alcoholics Anonymous called The Big Book. And it's funny, you read through that thing and it has every excuse you've ever said or told yourself and it was written in like 1943 wow you know hasn't changed tequila for vodka beer for this right you know it's because i did coke it's because you know but it's we're if you're truly happy and life is good you're not going to look for all those opportunities to numb out like people i can't wait for the weekend to go waste the money you don't have to numb out from the job you hate or the relationship you hate to go compound that and do it all over the next week. That right. gets heavy. Right. You know? So, yeah, they give you food stamps. They'll pay for your living. They'll, uh, they call it Voke Rehab. They'll, yep. they'll get you the training you need. You can get grants to go back to school, all of these things, but that takes work. Yep. And work on yourself, which most people don't like to do that. It's hard. Yeah. Looking at your demons right in the face, pulling them out of the closet, and you're like, oh, shit. You did easy to tell somebody how to yeah. how to fix that but when you've gone through it like you have yeah it's it's hard man it's does, the success rate is shit does, sucks does rob eastman still fight demons absolutely or do you ever get at a level that that's not a thing anymore or Yeah, I think you can. I don't ever think about drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol were never my problem. They were the symptom. My problem was I'd run from everything. I didn't deal. When I was depressed, I thought of getting high so I didn't have to be depressed in the moment. I didn't think about making better decisions and surrounding myself with more positive people, with maybe changing my job or my behaviors or getting better at coping with life. You know? Yeah, the drugs so, were the coping medicine. So now, right? if something doesn't feel right, I literally stop dead in my tracks physically and look around like okay what just happened did i just say something i shouldn't have did i just treat my daughter my girlfriend badly did i make a bad business decision did i and once you do that you get so mindful of your actions that when i sit if i start to feel anxious if i sit there and like stare it down like why am i fit? ask why all the time why 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 I can grab that little anxiety guy and put it in my back pocket. It doesn't rule my world. So I've conditioned, reconditioned. I'm a pretty tough individual. And I don't think that most people like I'm 
13 ultra marathons, four cage fights, boxing matches, I'm wrestling all the time. Like I train for life. It's what I do. Anything I was ever afraid of, I went and did it 10 times over. Certified as a skydiver, rock climbing, heights. It didn't matter what it was. I didn't want to be afraid anymore. But I had to go on a, a on journey. A right? yeah. <laughs> you know, and most people, one, don't have the, the means to do so, or they're afraid to do so. So getting a coach, having somebody hold your hand and walk you through your fear is key. Or because even if, even the saying that you have a problem is, yep. I mean, like, especially as a male, like, saying that you're weak is sometimes a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah, it is, especially around friends or anything else. But the other part, the only part of recovery, one, is admitting it. Two, is taking action. In recovery, I'm not talking about drugs and alcohol. Everybody on this planet should be in recovery We've all had trauma. We've all done something. We all need to get better. Right. There is no there is no final ending spot. It's a journey. Our life is false summits. I arrived. And you're like, damn, there's another hill. Yeah. All right. You know, so if you're expecting if I just made a hundred thousand dollars, my life would be better. Let me tell you, it's not. If you just had the big truck, your life would be better. It's not. Right. If you had right. the girl, you hear it's Ryan not. Feel bad. <laughs> yeah. You heard, you yeah. heard about your she big truck. <laughs> I thought we had it. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's, the, I have a saying in my gym when you walk in, it says there's a different devil on every level. And it doesn't matter where you get, there's always going to be a challenge. So if you get the idea that somehow it's going to be better, you're screwing yourself. Dude, I like that. Yeah. I like that saying. You know, you get stronger. That's it. So you can choose to let life kick your ass. We have that. All of us have that friend that's the gray cloud person. Right. That their tire popped. Their check got stolen. They got fired. Their house burned down. Mm. And their grandma died twice this month. <laughs> right. You know? And that person's never going to change until they change their mindset. Mm. It's like life is going to continuously teach you this lesson until you get it. Right. And it will teach you five million times if it takes that <laughs> long for you to get it. So now I always tell people, invite pain to your dinner table. Get to know it so that it doesn't have to kick your ass in order for you to see it. Now I see it coming way down the road. Like, uh, that could be bad for me. So I'm going to I'm gonna not do that. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to. I don't challenge myself to see how tough I am. You know, just make easier decisions, better decisions, making decisions. Not fiddle fucking around with, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. Like, just make a decision. Right. It, you're going to learn from it or you're going to gain from it. One or the other. It's going it's gonna to teach you a lesson or you're going to win. That's it. Yeah. You you were talking about being a, I want to lighten up the mood a little bit. You were talking about you were a fighter. Yeah. And Justin wants to challenge you to a fight. But also, uh, but also, but also <laughs> talk to me about playing soccer in Europe. Because yeah. that's like. That's yeah. like being a Mormon anywhere else and then going to your mission to Utah. <laughs> yeah, man, what a crazy a, And I want to challenge you to a game. <laughs> yeah, so we had, a, we had a coach from a very young age. His name was Billy McNichol, and he played professionally for Manchester United. Or no, Manchester City. Okay. And uh, coming over, you don't know what you have, right? And at 10, you got this guy from England cussing at you, pushing you harder than you've ever known. But then as seniors, 
we were pretty good going to to nationals every other year. We had a really good team, and and he set it up to where we got to go play um, some of the best teams in Scotland and England. Oh, wow! And uh, going to a Manchester Newcastle game with a hundred and eighty thousand people. That's like going to church. Wow. Yeah. And they're chanting in unison on either side. Yeah. Like I'm getting chills talking about yeah. it. <laughs> like you the America doesn't get it. Real, oh. it's cool, whatever, but their city's shut down. There's real hooligans. Like you don't wear a color in this town yeah, and you come yeah. in fast this way and you like it's the real deal. Yeah. So he t- he'd make sure we wore neutral stuff that we didn't say a word because if we did we wouldn't make it back to the bus <laughs> and we're sitting there and then halfway through the game 200 people come around the field in riot gear just in case and it's like like for me being a that, that was my love that was the only thing i was ever good at was athletics but soccer mm-hmm. specifically and you walk out on the scottish national field and it's like our putting greens like it's perfect and then just to imagine that feeling of a packed crowd and doing all of these things, it's like I knew exactly what I wanted to I'm do. Getting hot right now. I was going to say, Angel, Angel <laughs> I love hot right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in some of these countries, that's all they have. Yeah. That's their only yeah. way out. Yeah, coming from Mexico, I was like in yeah. kindergarten. I was playing soccer. Yeah. So I actually played against a kid who was on the Mexican national team. He played for Southern California. Who? His name was I can't remember his last name, but it was Eddie. And this is back in the nineties, and he was a. So my coach would always be like, "Kay, whatever he's playing, you're on him." Okay. So me and him got to know each other pretty well. A lot of foot stomps and elbows, <laughs> but uh, to to experience that level of play, and and then see them on TV later, it's like pretty cool. Do you still play? Yeah, try. There's a, there's another podcast me. that challenged me for a, in a Do game. Do you play? Yeah, I haven't in a while, but I love it. Yeah, would you play in my team? Absolutely. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I play <laughs> so a lot of indoor. One. Hell yeah. now. <laughs> so I played in the in the Hispanic League right here um, two seasons ago. I was like the only white dude in there. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I had to get invited, 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 invited. It was, uh, but it was cool. Mike's, you don't fuck with the Real Salega, huh? No. Really? I'm I'm 43 years old. I wish I wish things would have been different. Yeah. Um I wish that my life would have gone I got in trouble right out of my senior year, so I had some scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um and those all went away when I got in trouble. Other than wrestling, do you do you ever train anymore in MMA? Yeah, oh yeah, I train all the time. That's my shit. Yeah. That's I train shit. I I would continue to fight. The weight cut part is so hard on me. Um, What'd you fight at? 145. Ooh, wow. Yeah. I was, <laughs> You're 195 now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, I've got two broken necks. Up, Justin. Both knees have been done. My shoulder. Like, I'm more than happy if you want to spar. Come on over to my gym. <laughs> you know, I love... This fucking guy. I love the sport and I love jujitsu. Justin comes back next episode with a black guy. Welcome back to the other side. But I love MMA. Um, but I don't need to compete. Nice. You know, I learned what I needed to learn through that. I've did it for four years. I, I stopped I retired at thirty nine. Like it was, You follow the fights and everything? UFC and all that? Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. I went and trained in 
Ireland at SBG with Conor McGregor. Oh, really? Team. So I got their SBG grill while I was in Dublin. Oh, oh look at that. that. So I still, one of his teammates just barely hit me up, wants to come over and train in my gym. He wants oh, to get cool. away from my, uh, Dublin and, wow. and come. But what you learn in a team setting but judged individually, there's nothing better than that. You get what you put in, and there's nobody else to blame. See, I've always said that. That's that's why I love combat sports. Yeah. You have nobody. You, you can train and train and train with your team, but at the end of the day, you have nobody to blame but yourself. Yeah. That's when why it all I, goes down. Yeah. That's why it's, it was really cool how I fell into the wrestling gig, but watching these boys, especially the junior high boys, like super high anxiety. One, being in tight clothes in at that age, you're already awkward. But getting in and getting the win or getting the tough loss and, and watching their true confidence, this is not false confidence. You know when you come out of that deal, you just went to war. Mm. And seeing them stand a little bit taller and walk through the hallways, and now I'm creating these men who are not acting out of fear but out of confidence. They're calmer. They make better decisions because they don't have that fight or flight. Right. They're like, this is Monday with Rob, right? So if you go to war during the week on purpose – Life has to hit pretty hard to derail you. Do you, you being athletic in soccer and everything, and a lot of people say this, do you believe that wrestlers are the, uh, the, the epitome of grinding, the absolute hardest workers yeah. in, athle- in athletic sports? Yeah, so that and motocrossers, man. Well, those guys are just out of their fucking mind. Yeah, 45 minutes on the track is we- brutal. But in general, that, <laughs> like you watch the NCAA, those dudes are. In the splits, one's got a blown ACL, and the other one's head's wrapped, and they are scrapping like two hungry lions. Like, there's nothing better than that. Right. And it's, I mean, the oldest sport, like back with the Greek gods yep. doing this stuff. Yep. And most men on this planet have never been in a fight, but they believe they can protect their family. Mm. So they're going to 1,000% be reacting out of fear and not confidence. Right. And that's scary. I used to be the cocky, run-in-my-mouth guy, and thank God nobody ever <laughs> nobody me on that. <laughs> I got a lot of street fights, but it was usually a blinder at the bar. Right. You know, but now I'm, I'm super calm. I haven't had a conflict in a long time, and I imagine it's probably because it's the way I carry myself. Like, you better think really, really hard because when you train as long and as hard as a lot of us have – not it, that we, we almost welcome it. <laughs> like, it flips yeah. that switch yeah. where you're like, I don't need to go out and look like for it, right? What would happen if I came home and somebody was in my house? We'd lock the door. Yeah. And we'd say, <laughs> Finish him! <laughs> you know, that's the wrong house, brother. High five and go. You know, ground position. <laughs> He's so rough in his fucking hands. He's like, you, you, you fucked up it. wearing that hoodie, brother. I'm, I'm going to choke your ass out. <laughs> you know, but it's just like, I don't know, man. That inner peace. The guys that do jujitsu, you're, you're learning how to breathe and be calm in a life and death situation. Every day. That was my shit. That you was know? my shit. So mm. it's super cool, beneficial. The vi- I don't see the violence. I see the talent. Yep. You know, yep. people think it's violent. It's a chess match. And, and a confidence booster. Oh, yeah. Like it's you would not believe. chess match for sure. Yep. So, but with soccer, any of those things, I think is a, a religion. It's if, if you put time and effort into something to become better, that's exactly what life is about. And if we can teach our young 
to do that quicker, follow their passions, not follow the, like the, uh, the ROI on a college degree is not what it used to be. No, you can no. go make more money as a plumber. Yep. You know, yep. you're not even guaranteed a job coming out. I, I know so many business administration, uh, graduates that don't have a job. Yep. Like, what did you think? You're going to run a business just cause you went to school. You don't know anything about a business, right? You know? So they're all taking the guy that went and worked in the company for four to eight years over the guy that just studied about it. That read a book about it. Yeah. Yep. So yep. we just got to just keep opening eyes and allowing people to be their best selves and learn from their mistakes, not avoid having them. Failure is not an end all. It's a part of the game. So, yeah. Nice. Talk to us about your, uh, your gym. What's the name? Where's it at? Eastman Fitness and Wellness, and we're just right off the Centerville exit. There's a movie theater right there and a Maverick. It's Parish Lane, and uh, we're just back behind that. Over by the boat shop area? Um, you go the opposite way. Go left. Oh, okay. And we're just right there, just right through the roundabout. But oh, okay, ultimately yeah. what it is is I don't do contracts. I don't do any of that. If you don't want to be there, we don't want you there. I've sent people away. Like we just have a bunch of people who are fighting their own life battles, not all addicts, but whether it be uh, foods, their addiction or whatever it is, they all come in. We treat each other like family, small groups. And uh, Does this have an Instagram. Uh, yeah. Well, just mine. Does it? <laughs> it has Facebook. <laughs> it actually has a real web website there. Yeah, that's my Oh, website. wow. You got one of them real ones, huh? Yeah, you know, oh, good for you. We don't even got one yeah, of those. That, <laughs> I don't know, man. EastmanFitnessUtah.com, right? Yep. How many people? Can you say how many people you got there? Or? So I work off of, I bet I have 25 adult clients, and then I have... Depending on the time of the year, I'll have anywhere from 200 to 10 youth clients. Mm -hmm. But in general, where I make my money is in the speaking and the life coaching. So I don't have to feel, I don't, nor do I want the numbers of having eight sessions a day of, of the gym. We only train Monday through Thursday because if you're in the gym seven days a week, you're missing out on living. Yeah, that's one thing you mentioned at, at the uh, with the late talk kids. I call them kids because they're like this tall. Because they're old. But, yeah, like this tall. But th <laughs> that's, that's one thing. That, and it's like the first time that I hear anybody say it. It's like people shouldn't be addicted to the gym. It's or because it, you know you obviously yeah. you go to the gym and you're like, man, I want to look like that guy. But yeah, but that guy is there seven days a week. Yeah. But you're more of a just do your work and then go enjoy your life and yeah. eat whatever you want. And so we train extremely hard. We're considered minimalist extremists, meaning we only work out for 45 minutes, Monday through Thursday. We do an extreme amount of work in that time. But then if you're not using that strength to go do what you love, mountain bike, boating, skiing, yeah. hiking, wh what at playing with your kids. Like a lot of people are like, my kids are wearing me out. I don't want to be an asshole. I need to be in shape to be able to hang with my kids. You, know? you guys do the crate challenge? <laughs> I, just, I saw a video I was like what did, man the one guy had it until he pushed off at the top that straight scorpion it's gonna be on deer decks I see I see it with high heels like brand new uh, Jordans that aren't even tied you know and yeah so that's it man I, one I don't want to be there seven days a week yeah. because I have things I want to go do I I 
I lift there heavy so I can be a better wrestler, so I can handle my horses better, so I can ride my dirt bike better, so I can play with my daughter, so I can school the high school boys. You know, I want to be, I don't want to tell people what to do. I want to show them what to do. And I want to be able to do this long into my late years to inspire those that feel like they're over. Like, hopefully, I don't know if you guys checked out my Instagram or not, but I'm, yeah, Pretty actively uh, in my rock climbing yeah. and things yeah. like that. And when I walk in there, the little rock climbers see me and they're like, who's this dude? Is it like, I'm 40 coach pounds. Tattoo coach. Tattooed life coach number eight. But doing these like campusing and things like where you just do hands only and flying through. And it's like there's so many things that bring me, it teaches me how to breathe. I can't muscle everything. And there's just so many different things I learned. Like that one on the right. The jump right there. That's 50 and a half inches. Holy shit. <laughs> and so I challenge somebody, anybody, the first person to, to beat me gets a hat. And this dude whooped me, but. And he was 45. But to be able to get up that high, still performing at um, 100, almost 200 pounds, 5'8, but just constantly challenging myself, like, that's not going to kill me. But it is gonna make me push and try and get. That's your shirt too, huh? Yeah, and then go down. <laughs> to keep going, keep going. So we do ice baths and right there, that picture, yeah, that. So, getting out and constantly challenging yourself, whatever it is, if you want to juggle a soccer ball, five hundred times in a row, right? This but, is in your gym. No, this is up at Momentum. Oh, okay. If you guys ever want to go, I'd love to like, take Jesus you. Christ, it is dude. so fun. <laughs> what you got there? <laughs> yeah. No, I go to I have I have a gym membership at Vasa, EOS, rock climbing gyms because I like to do different things cuz I get bored. You think you could do yeah. that? Do I? Um if my wrists weren't so fucked, I don't weigh anything and I was always really good <laughs> so at that's, being able to hold that's myself a, up. That's a uh, cave climb, but now this is called campusing. Ooh, just no, hands. No, no feet. God damn. No feet. All right, it's time for you to leave, dude. Jesus <laughs> Christ. You got, you got like vice grip dick beaters, man. So, Look at that fucking thing. <laughs> so then you get to jujitsu. Yep. You're not breaking Pulled my on grip. that fucking gi. <laughs> you know, that's, those make me stronger, and I don't have to beat my body up, getting Broke. neck choked, and my neck's hurting all the time. So when I do get into rolling... Then I feel a little bit better. Ooh, a bunch of girls. All right. So that's I, I did a motivational for a high school cheerleading team. Yeah. And I dirt bike and do wild stuff like that. And that's a hill climb. At a KTM? Yeah. You ride? Uh, Check out that hill climb right there. I'm a side by side guy. Oh, cool. But I'm a pretty hardcore side by side. I'm I'm So I, these are the nasty pro climbs up in uh the Badlands. Yeah. Well, So you miss that, you're going down on your ass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a two-foot rock cliff at the top of that that you got to get over. <laughs> Brian gives you the, the, the hip-hop stamp. <laughs> yep, I like this video. <laughs> but all I'll these win, things, they're all uh, spiritual to me. Yeah. yeah. They make me better. They challenge my fears. And as I get better and, and you know, being able to have my daughter with me, and it's just... I don't know, man. I feel super blessed coming from the darkest place on the planet to feeling so much light 90% of the time. It's if I can do this, 
anybody can do this, but you got to put in the work. Well, I, I'll be honest, just you here, you know, sitting here, listening to your story, seeing everything you've done, what you've built, um, absolutely inspiring. Right? We're the lazy Yeah, it, it makes it, it, it every time, just, every time somebody sits in this chair, we always have guests and I always go home thinking, God damn, man. I got to get my shit together. Because <laughs> honestly, fuck, man. But um, congratulations on everything, yeah. man. Thank you. Um, before we let you roll, we got one question we have to ask Better you. Better be ready, dude. And we ask everybody this, just like you do, you know, your, your tattoo. Yeah. What, what does it mean to you when I say this? Um, Rob Eastman. What? And we need an answer before we let you go. Who was your man crush? <laughs> man. You know what's funny is that every time we ask, people go, man. when we came up with this, who's your, you're like, yeah, boom. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, like, I was getting ready to go beat off to him in the bathroom. I had it in my mind. I'm like, man, I hope we have the same one. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Probably if just you, through the fight world, uh, man, I really... There's things that people don't like, but as far as Conor McGregor in his story and the just of him and his his willingness is not these last little bit, but the the notorious story is, is pretty powerful. Absolutely, to come from you know, nothing, to you know, going a self-made from millionaire to right? welfare and his, and his girlfriend stuck with him, him, stuck yeah, with him, giving him thick and feeding thin, right? him. Paying the bills while he trained and he promised everything he did, he committed to. And, and it's probably pretty hard to stay motivated yeah, after you're around, worth $300 million. Like, well, mm. the, the fact that he came from nothing and he completely changed the game. Brian yeah. zoomed Bar in none, his dick, right? Bro. Oh, yeah. Bar absolutely. Changed the whole game right now. Brian zoomed in on his dick. But okay. And I love his, <laughs> his philosophies, his mindset, his trash talk. Him being respectful, win or lose after, like, he can lay it down, bro. He can talk trash like nobody's business, yeah, but he he's always up. been respectful for, for everybody after that. The last little bit, like I said, is whatever, but there's a lot of new fighters coming up that are so inspiring mm -hmm. that uh, it's it's humbling, you know. But I've met a lot of amazing, amazing men and I think every man needs somebody to be inspired by in that man crush. Don't think I'm going to be sleeping with him. And, but, and that's why we ask, yeah, you know. But mentor-wise, like I met well, I a... I keep my hopes up, but yeah. There's I'm this, a Brad Pitt kind of guy. We were sitting up in uh, <laughs> Namche Bazaar, which is like halfway to Mount Everest. And we have, after being at Mount Everest Base Camp and meeting these Sherpa people, that's just what they're called. They're, yeah, yeah. They're, one was like Lapka Sherpa, and we're like, what does that mean? Like, it's going to be so awesome. He's like, Tuesday. I was born on a Tuesday, so I'm Tuesday Sherpa. <laughs> like, what? But we, he was our guide, and he summited Mount Everest like 12 times. He has the fastest time up and down. And just see how humble and, and the way he talks. And then on our way back down, we stayed at this um, tea house. And this old guy would walk through the hallways, blessing it with his loud-ass monk. Yeah. yeah. And Bring I was like, dad. who is this dude? Yeah. And they're like, he is the last living man for the very first summit of Mount Everest with Hillary, the guy who came from England and right. paid all the Queen's ransom to be the first to the top. He was like 15 years old, building bridges, carrying backpacks, and he summited 
with Hillary. So to sit with that, and he's still in the same place. Wow. And he's told he's seen hundreds of thousands of climbers come through, and his story, you're just like, dude, he has these boots when he nailed his own nails through them. He built his own backpack with two by four. Like, we think we're tough. Anybody summiting now, guess who summits three times per one? The Sherpas carry their stuff. Right, <laughs> right. Like, we're not tough. And they probably don't use oxygen. We, do are, we are city slickers, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, so to see these, like, I suffered mental health, darkness, all that stuff. But there's some people out there who are going through some things. And to hear their stories is just, it's inspiring, you know? Yeah. So after losing my dad, I, I needed some male mentors, so... I, I always look for that relationship. Awesome. Well, listen, man, before we, we don't have to leave, but let's leave these people alone. Before we go, uh, where can people find you? Uh, what's your message? Just anything else you want to tell? Yeah. So my social, I'm most active on Instagram and that's tattooed life coach. And the number eight, um, I also have a website tattooed life coach.com. I'm Rob Eastman on, uh, Facebook. And if you can't find me there, then you probably shouldn't find me. but yeah man my message is you're not alone if you're around people who are making you feel that way change your circle find a better group and that it's better to be alone than with the wrong people you know but if you're if you're not if you don't just that second of bravery to say hey i'm struggling or to reach out or to notice other people's body language like that can change your life so and again, I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you for coming. For yeah. uh, providing the opportunity. No, yeah. I appreciate you coming. It was about time. Pure, pure pleasure, man. We we loved it. Brian, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at Boomerang, but uh, it will be uh, on Saturday, and so this will air on Monday, so I won't oh, be Do you want me to stop pin, asking? Or? Pin, pins and nails uh, <laughs> every now and again. <laughs> And the Stand and Fight podcast. Yeah. yeah. Mental health, everything. I always forget because it's... Well, hey, when you have so much shit going on here... (laughs) Stand and Fight podcast, all mental health. We've talked about everything. And, yeah, so it's on there. Be good. Uh, Yeah, find me on the Facebook. You know my name. If you really need to get a hold of me, find me on the other side of the beehive. Instagram, I think it's J underscore Sim 68, but it could be different. I don't know. I don't really pay attention you to it. You can find the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at the other side of the beehive. And also follow our Facebook when Justin's going to be fighting Rob. We'll pay. We'll make people pay Fundraiser, for that. baby. Make people pay for that. <laughs> and you can find me at Angel Severa on Facebook, Angel Severa on Instagram. And I do this thing called No Hablo de Espanol when I try to help Dre get in contact with this brown side it's not helping it's not working but we keep trying he's still terrible he, yeah he's terrible I was gonna say I thought I'd seen you somewhere hey. now that's where I was <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who's a clown on that uh, anything else we wanna say gentlemen I'm good yeah go okay everybody until next time take care of yourselves out there and we will see you on the other side of the beehive you have to say peace with me ready one two three peace, peace. I like it <laughs>